Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. Where in the word are you today? It's Tuesday, September. It's actually October the 3rd. Yep. It's October the 3rd. uh, And this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Good morning. How's your day starting out? Uh, Are you starting it out uh, with the Lord? He'd love to spend some time with you today. Thank you for including me in your day. Much more important to Include the Lord in your day. So let's get into the Word of God, that the Word of God might get into us. uh, That as we go out there into the world that God so loves, we would be full of grace and truth. The world's going to squeeze you today. I think you know that. Um, And Jesus actually addresses that in in one of his Beatitudes, which we find, as we discussed yesterday, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so today, uh, we are going to look specifically at um, Matthew 5, verses 9 and 10, if I can get my computer screen to not be so small that I can't read it. So bear with me for just a moment while I figure out why it's so small. All right, here we go. Sometimes, right? It's the little things. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So first of all, like blessed, blessed, blessed. You are blessed. No matter what you're feeling about yourself today or the circumstances of your life, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. So just pause right there for just a moment. Um, and revel. Pause right there for just a moment and revel. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. All right, so what does it mean for Jesus to declare blessing over you or blessing upon you? It's one thing when somebody sneezes, you know, for us to say, Gesundheit, uh, God bless you. It's another thing for Jesus um, to say it about us, to say it about you. Blessed are you when you live in such a way um, that the world sees Jesus. So blessed are the peacemakers. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? For they will be called the children of God. What's the value of that? What's the value of being called a child of God? If you see no value in that, then you're probably not going to be concerned with what it means to be a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, what is the value of being a citizen or co-heir of Christ uh, with Christ of the kingdom of heaven? If you don't value uh, possessing the kingdom of heaven, 
then why would you be interested in what Jesus says about those who attain it? So do you value being called a child of God? Do you value being a citizen and a co-heir with Christ of the kingdom of heaven? If so, um, then these Beatitudes are going to be important to you today. So we're just going to look at the first one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Peacemaking um, requires, first of all, a knowledge of peace, not just a head knowledge of peace, but um, a heart, a life knowledge of peace. So are you a person of peace? Are you possessed of the Prince of Peace? Do you, are you interested in, not just in giving people another piece of your mind, but sharing with them the very peace of Christ that passes all understanding? Are you committed to making peace in the world? Pretty much, I mean, I know a lot of people are just frankly interested in being like the burr under the saddle. Uh, they're, they're really, they're, they're, they're looking to be the pebble in the shoe. They're looking to be the irritant. They're looking um, to be, you know, frankly, sowers of division. And so that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Peacemaking requires not only a knowledge of peace, but living as a person of peace, committed to making peace. Is that you? A peacemaker is the person who steps in between two warring parties when other people are headed for the borders. Peacemakers press in when other people are leaning away. A peacemaker um, refuses to pick up offenses because, trust me when I tell you, uh, if you get in between two warring parties, then, you know, both sides start shooting at you. And so you have to refuse to pick up offenses. You also have to be quick to repent when you're wrong or you wrong others. Peacemakers are not conflict avoiders. And so if you say to yourself, okay, if I had if you had to choose, are you are you a, a conflict avoider or, you know, uh, I don't know what what is the other what would be the opposite of that? <clears throat> a person who doesn't avoid conflict. <laughs> um peacemakers are not conflict avoiders. Peacemakers actually press in. So today the world is rife with division. I don't have to tell you that. Political, racial, religious, familial. I mean, it's go down the list. Uh, the world is rife with division. The peacemaker in the spirit of Jesus knows there is no peace without reconciliation. And there's no reconciliation without healing that comes through forgiveness and conversation and hard work. So peacemakers are committed to the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help them God. It's, this is not about, you know, hey, 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 you just, you just, you know, just, just, just forgive each other and move on. No, the truth matters. The truth matters. And without the truth, there can be no peace. You can't separate, you know, Jesus who is our peace from Jesus who is our truth. You can't segregate the truth from peace. Jesus is both. And so to achieve true, true peacemaking we have to be committed to seeking and speaking the truth, but doing so in what? In love. Love is where peacemaking gets real. Jesus came to be the one who made peace, who brought reconciliation um, between two divided parties, tr- two warring factions. You know, that's, that's us at war with God. And it, it's out of love that peacemaking is possible. So peacemaking 
is going to remain abstract and theoretical until we love someone with whom there is some division that we're not willing to live with. Let me say it again. Peacemaking is going to remain abstract and theoretical until we love someone with whom there is division and with whom we long to have reconciliation. So relationships are the place where uh, peacemaking occurs. And, uh, and so let me invite you to be a peacemaker today. Um, Jesus is the one who says that the peacemakers are going to be called children of God. And I want that, don't you? And if we're going to be living together as the children of God in the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> shouldn't we um, make some peace with each other in the here and now? As Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thrilled to have with us today, Billy Hollowell. Uh, He's joining us as a reporter for CBN News and Faithwire, but I also thoroughly enjoy him as an author. You can check out what we're talking about today at faithwire.com. Billy, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I... um, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, your write-up on the conversation that you had with Promise, Promise Keeper CEO Ken Harrison. He's been on the program before, um, and you're reporting that there's venues that are canceling Promise Keepers events, and Ken is uh, reacting to all of that. So can you read us in on this? Yeah, you know, this is one of those really bizarre stories because it's not as though, you know, you hear something like this and you think, okay, well, what did Promise Keepers do that mm-hmm. got them canceled, right? What What is this mm-hmm. egregious behavior, right? And there really isn't any egregious behavior. There was apparently a blog post and not all of the venues canceling have cited this blog post, right? Um, but where they just reaffirmed the biblical definition of marriage, you know, gender, all the things that are basically traditional Christian doctrine that have been believed for 2,000 years, they stated that in a blog post. As far as we know, there was nothing in this blog post that was, you know, this isn't Westboro Baptist Church. This is Promise Keepers. They're stating biblical truth. And so earlier in the summer, there was a university that decided to essentially cancel their event. And now there have apparently been other venues that have canceled. And It's so interesting to me that you have this men's ministry out there trying to do this work that they do. And yes, they've taken stances, biblical stances, and you would think that Christian organizations and colleges would have no problem with that since they're Christian organizations and colleges. And yet here we are. And so he he has openly spoken up about this. And I think there's some caution, right? Because you don't want to go out there and make, that's not what Promise Keepers is. It's not a an organization that's looking to be in the headlines over debates about venue cancellations. But at the same time, I think it's pointing to some issues that we might have going on in the church, right, around these doctrines. Absolutely. I I think if we're at the place in the culture where a Christian ministry, I mean, an expressly Christian ministry, cannot publicly say, we reaffirm our support for the biblical, biological, sexual identity of male and female, man and woman, in the context of marriage— if we've arrived at the place where you cannot affirm that publicly and um, have a Christian university um, platform your event, uh, we are, you know, we've just arrived at a time when, I mean, if people hadn't been a paying, had not been paying attention to this point, I hope they're paying attention now. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, we have to keep in mind, and of course, we don't know the hearts of all the people making these decisions, but at the end of the day, 
you know, you're called to truth. You're not called to go out there and, and panic about being canceled or having people mm-hmm. protest you. And I do think a lot of what is happening is there, there is panic, right? There is fear. If you, mm-hmm. you know, if we host this event, are we going to, and again, I can't speak definitively, but are we going to have people come and protest us? I mean, you kind of have a couple of options here. The first option is that there's some sort of fear preventing you from hosting the event. The second option is that you don't agree with the theology of promise keepers, right? Or, or the Bible in that case. Um, and then maybe, maybe there's a C that you didn't like the way that something was said. And I think you can have that conversation, um, and that discussion, but, but I don't, I don't see how this particular incident would, would, or C would actually make sense. So it's just, it's troubling. I think, he, you know, in this conversation, he was very clear. We need to be bold. You know, Christians are called to be bold and truthful. And yes, we have to be loving and, you know, we should be able to do that. But this crazy culture, I think, has really made a lot of people have to make a decision. Am I going to live my faith out and tell the truth or am I going to cower and essentially stay silent and lie? And that's, yeah, the, the decision should be easy for Christians. Yeah. Um, well, I, pr- I appreciate your reporting on that. Hey, remind us what, what Faith Wire is because we're talking about things posted at FaithWire, and I think it would be helpful for folks to just be reminded, like, what is FaithWire.com? What are you doing there? Yeah, yeah. So FaithWire.com, it's part of CBN News, Christian Broadcasting Network. And, you know, it's really a, a fun platform for news. You know, we cover a lot of news that I think everybody will care about. A lot of younger Christians, I think, will find the headlines interesting. You know, it's really, we have a digital team at CBN that I'm a part of. And so we do everything from, you know, we have a daily podcast actually called Quick Start, which I, I'd love for people to check out. Um, we have that. We also do a lot of video interviews. And then Faithwire houses a lot of those conversations. And so we spend a fair amount of the time, similar to you, you know, talking with interesting people and, you know, just really bringing those those faith stories to the forefront. And it's just it's such a rewarding position to be in. I'm sure you feel the same getting to tell these stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell us a story about Kathy Ireland. She had a really powerful message about I think the need for a wake-up call for Christians in the United States, I appreciated that you know she was just so honest about having identified as a pro-choice Christian as a young adult, and then over time, you know, God leading her to the realization that abortion actually violates his truth. Yeah, this, this is interesting. She was just awarded, she was given an award at Live Action's Life Awards Gala, obviously a, a pro-life event. And I've always known Kathy Ireland to be a Christian. She's always talked about her faith. I found it really interesting. She found her faith when she was 18 years old, obviously living and working in Hollywood, supermodel. She's now mostly known more for being an entrepreneur now. Uh, But she talked in her speech at this event, getting her award. And she said, look, you know, I was a pro-choice Christian well into my 40s. And so you think about that, you know, she was 18 years old when she became a Christian. She identified as a pro-choice Christian, and she said her views changed when she really dug deeper into the Bible. And she's, she was basically saying, how sad is it that, you know, how crazy is it that she was able to get that far into her faith journey and still identify that way? What is going on in our churches? She said, quote, we've got to wake up our churches. We've got to wake up. She also delivered, and I think this is important, and it and it gets lost in the debate about abortion many times because it's an emotional debate. People get very angry. 
but but to the women who have had abortions who might be suffering silently who don't want to talk about that she actually said and i'm going to read the quote because i think it's it's very powerful to the women who've had abortions the estimation is one in four just know that nothing is too big for god we bring it to him we repent he redeems and restores and i i thought that was an important message you know she didn't just talk about being pro-life, she spoke specifically to those women who might be silently suffering. Mm. Um, and that's a, and that's a lot. That's a lot. Hey, um, let's, uh, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Billy Hollowell. You can find everything we're talking about today at faithwire.com. We're going to um, address the question of Christianity and whether or not it's on the rise or you know, maybe it's already past its crescendo in history. Is Christianity dying? That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God. Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Billy Hollowell from faithwire.com. Are we seeing a resurgence of faith um, or is Christianity dying, Billy? Yeah, this is such an interesting question because for years, you know, you and I and others, we've covered this and we've looked at the numbers and we've been wringing our hands and saying Christianity is dying. The numbers show that we've gone from 78 percent, you know, of Americans calling themselves Christians to 60 some odd percent and it's going to go even lower. But I do think we have to look at this a little bit differently. You know, we are looking at public opinion polls that ask people, are you a Christian? And yes, those numbers are going down. But I think the bigger question is what percentage of Americans are actually Christians? And Mm -hmm. I don't believe that we ever had 78% of the country that was actually really Christian. You know, you could say you're a Christian. Are you really living that life? So I think there are two stories that are going on right now. And there are two simultaneous stories that are that are complex. You're watching Christianity lose its flavor in the culture, right? The culture is post-Christian. It happened very quick. Um, and so that cultural Christianity is is gone. And so in a sense, that form of Christianity, yeah, okay, it's gone away. It's dying. But, but real authentic Christianity, I think because we're watching the culture lie to people and tell them you can be the God of the self, you can do whatever you want, you just go out there and you whatever you feel can be your own gospel – we're watching droves of people realize that that's a lie, that it's not fulfilling, and they're looking for truth, which is why we've seen at least two, as far as we know, historic baptism, mass baptisms this year. We've mm-hmm. seen one one of them at Pirate's Cove may have actually – it may be the biggest baptism we've seen in history, period, not just American history. And so – you know, baptisms don't necessarily mean, again, that, you know, faith is thriving, but the sense is, yeah, among groups of people, we're watching, I mean, you see these headlines, 200 people at a church, 100 people at a church, people 
are responding to the gospel at rapid rate. We had Asbury, and we can have the debate all day long about whether we think Asbury was too emotional or not. I don't really care about that because at, at the end of the day, we are really watching something happen right now. And while faith is dying culturally, it's thriving in all these other pockets. So I don't think that it's accurate for us to to go out there and say faith faith is dying in America. And I would have said I would have had a different view on that maybe even a year or two ago. But I think this year has really shifted my perspective on that. So about a month ago, I had occasion to um, visit Long Hollow, um, which is a church in Tennessee, and um, they. I mean, the pastor was preaching that day on the obedience of Jesus in baptism, and they had hundreds of people come forward. I mean, like spontaneously, um, like he he because he issued this invitation. He's like, you know, if you if you've never been baptized, then like, are you, you know, like in active disobedience, and and you know, and why, like why, and it was a very simple appeal to people who'd been sitting in church, you know, for whatever, some period of time, maybe some of them for the very first time. And I guess that um, between the time that he made this invitation during the first service and the service that we attended, which was the final service of the day, people had seen it online and gotten in their cars and driven to the church to be baptized. So it is happening. Like it, it is, it is happening. People are responding to the gospel. And I think that there's sometimes that I don't know. We've become so like stuck in our, you know, this is the this is the process. This is the order of things, you know, check off these boxes before you do anything else. And um, and it, it, it can be a little more spontaneous than that. People actually do really respond to the gospel and need to have the opportunity to, in that moment, declare their faith publicly before others. I mean, I think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, thank goodness they didn't have to wait for like the session of a church to approve all that before that guy got baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just think, I think that you're absolutely right. The way that we do things thinking that it has to be done a specific way. But, but I also do think that, and I think we've seen this throughout history that when faith starts to wane culturally and authenticity comes back in to Christianity, right? That when everybody says they're a Christian, that is not authentic. Again, 78% of Americans weren't right. That's right. Yeah, it's just that there's no there's no way that that 78 percent of the country was Christian in 2007. I just don't I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I think they said they were. Maybe it was 30 percent. I don't know. Um, I think that the real question now is what are we going to do? We're watching all the events you just described and I described. How, how are we going to make sure that we're equipped for more people to come into the fold? Because I think we're going to see more and more people discover the truth. And where we're going to. um platform and celebrate when somebody who understands themselves to have been a Christian for a really long time, God reveals something to them, like abortion is not aligned with God's will, and they are then able to become a pro-life Christian, having been a pro-choice Christian, and we are not going to mock or condemn them for the years that they spent as a pro-choice person. We're going to celebrate their transformation and uh, and the awakening that God has given them. And then we're going to come alongside them and we're going to grieve the things that need to be grieved because there's trauma there. Like all of that is a part of this conversation and all of that takes some unique equipping uh, in this generation. Yeah. And I love what you said there because I do think 
you know, this is a journey for people. I, I think a lot of times we expect that somebody a- accepts Jesus in every single thing. And there are people who they accept Jesus and they're healed of addictions and that happens. But for a lot of people, you accept Christ and you're on a journey, right? And it takes mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think when we when we don't understand that, we can really de- you know disincentivize people from discovering the truth about different issues, right? You have to allow God to transform every part of your heart and mind. And sometimes that just takes time. And I think even, you know, I've had some other conversations that were amazing. Julie Chen Moonves from Big Brother, Mm. you know, she shared her story of coming to faith a few years ago during a difficult time. And so you you have to sort of watch people as they grow and journey with them, not, not condemn them. Of course, bad theology should be called out and some people settle into bad theology, but I think most people, they need that grace and that growth time. Um, your interview, your conversation, um, the article about Julie Chin moves is excellent. You guys can also find that at faithwire.com. Um, yeah. Do you want to say any more about that? Because that really, it's lovely. That is a lovely story. Yeah. You know, I was really blown away by her because she put out this audio memoir, you know, telling her story. And obviously she's been in the headlines. She was the host of the talk. She was pushed out of that job. You know, she's made a lot of headlines. She's had a lot of personal issues with her husband and all that was very public. And I think hearing her talk about her love for Jesus and how she felt so compelled, the part that really stuck out to me when I said to her, how difficult is it to speak up about these things in Hollywood, you know, and in the media? And she said, you know, when she gets to heaven, if she doesn't go out there and tell the truth now that she knows it, she doesn't want Jesus to turn to her and say, you know, I never knew you because you didn't acknowledge Mm -hmm. me. And I thought that is, you know, here she is in this position. It's so easy to push your face to the side or not talk about it. And she's out there doing an audio memoir and, you know, sharing this journey that she's been on. And so, um, you know, I got to pray with her before and after we did a second interview on my, on one of my other podcasts. And I just, I was pretty blown away by it again. You have somebody in the midst of Hollywood finding Jesus, and we're hearing a lot of those stories too. And again, we can debate whether or not we think it's authentic and, you know, with certain people, but we are seeing Jesus working there as well. So I I think we need to pray for, for any of these people, Julie, all of them who come to faith, that they can remain strong and, you know, have the fortitude to continue sharing their stories. Okay, so my um, follow-up assignment to that, um, to reading that article, is that you got to track down that guy who was the cameraman who gave her her first Bible. Um, you are that's already what I got on for the you. same wavelength. Uh, you are already yeah. on the go same find, wavelength. Go find am, that guy, yeah. man. And bring us that story the next time. How's that sound? He actually baptized her last year, oh, actually, oh, which is pretty amazing. incredible. He's a, Yeah, he's a pastor now. So, Oh, that's amazing. Cool. All right. Can we have that story next time? We can. That's like your hook. That's like your hook to come back. All right, Billy Hollowell, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, He is a reporter for CBN News. You can find what we talked about today and so much more at faithwire.com. Sometimes we think of um, a hook, a story hook, like I just uh, suggested to Billy, a story hook for the next time. Sometimes we think about um, a hook when we're talking about fishing. And so... When you consider yourself a fisher of men, like what's the hook? Um, What's drawing people in? Um, How are you going about your fishing as a fisher of men today? Come to find out, fishing um, is actually like really good for our mental health. We're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Okay, I do appreciate that you're texting in pictures of your fish. That is excellent. Uh, remember, the text line's always open, 877-933-2484. Have you been fishing lately? Do you go fishing? Uh, as the people of God in the world today, we are fishers of men. Um, here is the headline hook related to this. So, first of all, I just really appreciate that there is um, a charity out there called Tackling Minds. <laughs> okay, so Tackling Minds wanted to find out, is uh, fishing really as uh, as good for our mental health as we think it is? You know, it's those times when you're exasperated and you just hang the gone fishing sign out on the door and people are like, all right, well, better to have gone fishing than to have, you know, broken down into some sort of relational disarray. So the research um, done by the... And Angela Ruskin University, uh, which, you know, is reporting this out um, in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Um, They found that um, fishing is literally good for your mental health. So people who participate in recreational fishing uh, have significantly fewer um, issues related to anxiety Um, suicide ideation, attempted suicide, or engaged in deliberate self-harm compared to people who do not fish. So uh, go fishing. Um, And if you are suffering from anxiety or depression, maybe try fishing. Like, right, this is just actually um, an opportunity for uh, for us to consider ways to get outside and commune with God and uh, and the created order that he has made and do something that actually... um, lowers our cortisol level, reduces our stress, um, increases our joy. And of course, yes, there is a uh, a conversation to be had about what the Bible has to say about fishing. There's all kinds of fish stories in the Bible. Maybe just think for a moment about the fish stories that come to mind when I say fish stories in the Bible. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that Jonah comes to mind, right? How about the miraculous catch of fish in Luke chapter 5? Does that, does that come to mind as a fish story? How about breakfast with Jesus on the beach? Um, how about the uh, miracle catch of fish in John 21? Any of those come to mind when you talk about, um, how about, how about the uh, multiplication of the fishes and the loaves? Is that a fish story that comes to mind? How about Jesus turning to some actual fishermen and saying, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Ah, what if we were to um, pause there for a moment? Oh, yes, somebody just uh, just reminded me. How about the coin in the mouth of the fish? Yes, uh, absolutely. The paying of the temple tax. Um, Jesus, you know, says to Peter, "Go, go, go! Put your hook in in the water, and and uh, in the mouth of the fish, you'll find enough to pay our taxes." Um, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people, to make you fishers of men. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. What does that look like? What does it look like to um, follow Jesus and then be sent by Jesus out into the world to fish for people? Um, If you've ever wondered, like, what is God calling and sending me to do? Well, he's calling you to Christ, and then he's sending you in the name of Christ to go catch others for Christ. Um, So what does that look like? Do you have a fish symbol on the back of your car? What does that that mean? So in Greek, the translated word for fish is ichthus. 
And so the early Christians um, found a way to um, create this acrostic using the first letters of the Greek word, um, and it actually spells this out, and it stands for uh, Jesus. So um, they would, like, you know, as a sign to one another, uh, a secret password of sorts, they would draw the sign of the fish, indicate like in the sand, indicating that they were a Christ follower. Are you a Christ follower? Um, is it a sign that communicates not only to you, but to others that you belong to Jesus? And are you actively out there seeking to advance the cause of Christ and um, share the good news of gospel, of the gospel with others? Let's, uh, let's be people who, you know, know the fish stories of the Bible and maybe use some of those fish stories of the Bible to, um, to catch some fish today. Or maybe, you know what, take somebody fishing. Maybe invite somebody to go fishing today. Uh, it will be not only good for, the, for your mental health, but um, if it's just, you know, your average fishing trip, it's going to provide all kinds of opportunity for real conversation. I want to lift up a story out of uh, North Dakota. For those of you listening in uh, in, in Bismarck and Mandan, um, particular prayers for you and your community today. We are grieving with those who grieve today. North Dakota uh, State Senator Doug Larson, along with his wife Amy and their two small children, um, died in a plane crash after uh, stopping to refuel uh, in Utah as they were returning um back to North Dakota from a trip to Scottsdale, Arizona to spend time with family. Um, This is a tragic story, and um, one cannot imagine um, the grief of this family. Um, Amy has a child from a prior relationship, and so that child is now without a mother, without a stepdad. Um, Their family in Scottsdale, obviously, uh, that they had been visiting, the grandparents grieving uh, desperately as well. <clears throat> what does it look like to grieve with those who grieve? What does it look like to um, comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted? This is such a uh, a tragic situation and um, and terrible loss and so high profile. Um, and so, let us uh, you know let us be people who um, are prepared today to stand with those who grieve and just simply sit with them. If you, um, you know, if you live in this particular uh, congressional district, uh, 34 in North Dakota, just know you might have some neighbors today who um, are, who don't know what to do with their grief. And so as we talk about, um, a life dedicated to service as we talk about um, all of the ways that, you know, this sweet family um, was, was, was blessed and was a blessing. Um, let's be sure that as Christians, we put this in eternal perspective uh, and we acknowledge the gift of life, its fragility, um, the, the, the nature, the, the passing nature of it. Um, let us make, the most of every opportunity that we have and and let us console, let us comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. 
it's hard to imagine the loss of an entire family. Um, and it's hard to imagine the grief uh, that, uh, and, you know, you just, you think about their neighbors, you think about their friends, you think about their colleagues, you think about the people who you thought you were going to leave in charge of things and, um, and the person who you thought you were going to leave in charge of, of things um, died with you as well. And so it is, um, you may think this is a strange segue, but this is an opportunity for you to consider having a conversation with your loved ones about putting things in order. Um, it's, it's never too late to have conversations about your legacy what you really want to pass along in, until it's literally too late to have those conversations. And so um, immediately when you hear me say that, you're thinking I'm talking about finances and I'm talking about beneficiaries and I'm talking about, you know what? I'm talking about your spiritual legacy. Have you passed along to the others you love in your life that which you have also received? The good news of the gospel of Jesus. Um, are you confident that your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, they know that if you were to die today, you would be alive forevermore in heaven. And do they know why? And do they know that that's possible for them as well? And that you long to spend eternity with them? These kinds of stories, this terrible tragedy in the life of the Larson family in North Dakota um, is an opportunity for, yes, for us to grieve with those who grieve. It's also an opportunity for us to talk about the power of resurrection and the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And so when, when scriptures encourage us to make the most of every opportunity, this is one of those, um, this is one of those conversations. I remember when I was um, serving uh, on the staff of a church in Hilton Head, South Carolina, we had, uh, we had a school uh, in our church, a little school for little, little itty bitty kids, preschool, really not a school school, a preschool, although you know, we thought it was cool. Um, and we had a family who was traveling. Um, the dad was flying the plane and uh, his wife was not on board, but his little girls were. And um, and that plane crashed. And um, he came home severely, severely burned and they did not. And it was a grief that was too much to bear. Um. Some people are walking around today with a grief that is too great to bear. And events like this will take them back to those moments in time, to those experiences. And they will need us to sit with them um, in moments of deep grief and um, be their consolation. And yes, to speak speak the balm of Gilead over them, the name of Jesus. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. Um, I, have, I have news for you that I, since I heard it yesterday, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And having done a little more research, there's not just one. The subject of our next conversation is a two-headed snake. Yep, that's up next on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people 
who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Okay, this snake doesn't just have a forked tongue. It's got a forked head. I don't even quite know how to report on this. It's so disturbing to me. Okay, so here's what I heard. I heard yesterday that uh, the state of Missouri, I just get this, okay? The state of Missouri is having a birthday party. First of all, they're having a birthday party for a snake. Um, and they're having a birthday party. I just I could just pause there for a moment. But they're having a birthday party for a two-headed snake, which just, if your skin wasn't already crawling because it was a snake story, yeah, your skin's crawling now. So um, her name is Tiger and Lily, short form Tiger Lily, and she is a rat snake, um, which makes her like, you know, I guess a good kind of snake, but she has two heads. She has two heads. And she really likes to eat, according to uh, the people who are raising her. So uh, there was a family that had this two-headed snake, uh, and they uh, eventually gave it as a gift to the Shepherd of the Hills Conservation Center in Branson, Missouri. And the Missouri Department of Conservation threw Tiger Lily a birthday party. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, there's a whole thing here on, you know, how she likes to eat and how she eats and the whole nine yards. Here's what I would like to say about all of that. I did a little research and come to find out, although rare, yeah, there's there's more of these. So there's one in Texas at a zoo whose name is Pancho and Lefty or Pancho Lefty. Um, and so it's just equally as disgusting And in this case, a rattlesnake. Imagine a two-headed rattlesnake. I don't even hardly know what to tell you. So um, they these snakes have what's it's it's a rare condition. It's called bicephaly, which occurs when a single embryo starts to divide into identical twins, but then fails to separate completely. So we know it as conjoined twins. That's what we call it in um, you know in a human being. Um. In in the reptile world, ugh, oh, the pictures are just awful. They just they're just two headed snakes, and there's apparently a, a fair number of them. So it got me thinking. Good day to talk about uh, snakes in the Bible. So let's uh, cover this territory pretty quickly. So, oh, all right, I'm literally like scratching my own skin right now. Oh, okay, 
God said, let the land produce living creatures. This is Genesis 1, verse 24, the first introduction of the snake uh, into the Bible. Uh, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. So serpent is the generic term most frequently used in the Bible for reptiles, uh, this particular kind of reptile that doesn't have any feet, right? It's just a slithery one on the ground. Um, and then um, and then we have all of these references to the asp, to the viper, to the snake. Um, so in, in Hebrew, there's like eight different terms that could be used here to identify specific species of, of snakes. Um, the most common term in the Old Testament for serpent or snake is nashash. And in the New Testament, it's ophis, which is a Greek word. So um, they're in the Bible, and obviously the the one you know the best is the one that appears in the Garden of Eden. Well, I, actually, you might also be thinking about the one that bites the hand of Paul, or or you might be thinking, oh, you know, it's just, at some point you're just going to be able to tread on the head uh, heads of them, and the the, the bite's not going to hurt you. Okay, so the Garden of Eden, there is this animal who appears, um, uh, that pulls itself along the ground, and um, we refer to this like right as the snake, and this serpent is the one who tempts Eve. Um, and you can read about this kind of animal in Genesis, in Exodus, in Micah, in Isaiah. Um, in Genesis two, it describes them as having been formed from the dust of the earth, um, and. Later on, uh, this is the serpent who is identified as the father of lies. Um, so when we, when we talk about the serpent in this case, um, this, this representative uh, of the evil one, this representative of the enemy of God, of Satan himself, of the great tempter, of the father of lies, the great dragon, um, the devil, Satan himself. And so that is a thread you can pull all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And here's the good news of the gospel. Um, Jesus is going to tread on the head of the serpent. And that is a promise from the very beginning uh, of the story from Genesis 3. And it is uh, ultimately uh, will be accomplished. Um, And so we don't have any reason to fear them. And yet, strangely, we do. Uh, And so this snake story, the two-headed snake story, an opportunity to, you know, talk about Talk about the introduction of uh, of evil, um, the introduction of sin into the world uh, with the appearance of the snake in the Garden of Eden. So it's okay if it makes your skin crawl. Oh, I wish it had made Eve's skin crawl and maybe we wouldn't be, oh well, <laughs> in the state we're in today. Um, all right, uh, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to, oh, we're not. So we have a new clock. I don't know if you noticed that. The show actually starts straight up at the top of the hour and I'm still trying to learn the pattern. And so we're not going to take a break. We are going to keep chatting together for just one more minute. And uh, I've got one more thing to share with you. So Pope Francis has suggested um, that some people in same-sex unions could be blessed by Catholic priests. That is a, 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 a an incredibly significant shift um, and is probably going to produce a lot of discussion, particularly among Roman Catholics. Um, and so I just thought that I would brief you in on that. It is uh, included in a letter from the Vatican dated on September the 25th. 
And in that letter, um, there is some openness, some willingness to uh, offer blessing um, to some people in same-sex unions. Um, And obviously, this would to others be seen as the church speaking a blessing over that which Scripture clearly calls sin. And so... um, it's it's going to be uh, an ongoing ca- conversation, not only among Roman Catholics, but obviously in uh, in the church universal. And so let's be prepared to have that conversation. Let's be prepared to uphold what the Bible actually says about God's good created order, uh, male and female. He created them in his image. He created them. And then he gave them to one another in the covenant of marriage. Um, and uh, and that that's not... Um, that's not for us to change. Uh, that's not for us to um, to rethink or reimagine. All right, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to have an extended conversation in the next hour with Jim Davis and Michael Graham about this incredible research project and the book that grew out of it. It's called The Great Dechurching. Have you noticed that there are fewer people in church? Maybe you're one of them. Have you left the church? Why? Where are you going? What would it take to bring you back into fellowship with an actual congregation to be re-knit into the life of a local church? What would that take if you are among those 40 million Americans who have de-churched? What would it take to get you back? That's going to be in the next hour. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.